dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. We all know that leadership is about vision and passion, but sometimes we forget that if nobody's following us, we're not leading anyone. In truth, the test of a good leader includes their ability to engender their spirit in their followers. And few people were better at this than St. Paul. In many of his writings, especially his letters to Titus and Timothy, we have a valuable lesson of how a Christian passes their inner fire on to their followers, a lesson our Christian leaders can use today. Hey, everybody, and welcome back again to our, our final course here on St. Paul as an example of leadership. And I just love doing this because you've got to remember that leaders who are Christian lead differently than leaders who aren't. And it might seem at first a little bit controversial to say that because you could say, I don't understand, you know, how, what the difference is. Well, you might not understand what the difference is, but it's as fundamental as having a different philosophy and a different worldview. Okay, when you're a Christian, the philosophy that guides the decisions that you're making practically, right? The end goal that you have in mind and the assumptions that guide every aspect of your decision towards that goal, they don't come from a worldview that says that the human person, for example, is expendable or that human life could be satisfied by pure materiality or that there's a class system that should keep certain people from developing themselves, or that safety isn't very important. You know, there, if you throw Christianity out of the workplace, you will foundationally change the culture of that workplace, which means if you insert a Christian worldview into the workplace, and I'm not saying Christian faith, I'm not saying to impose that upon anybody, but I'm saying to, to impose a Christian set of values, yes, in the way that you work, you will also positively impact the workplace. You will augment its quality. You will increase also its efficiency for the good. You see, in many ways, the workplace is a neutral thing. It needs to be guided by the, the leaders who are in it. And the leaders who are in it will shape that workplace according to the values that are in them. This is why it's so important that Christians who are Christian in faith bring that faith to bear by bringing their values with them and fighting to insert those values actually there where they work. Okay, so it might sound kind of generic, but actually has a lot of consequence because it shapes the, the way that we approach the goods that we actually make and the services that we actually make and sometimes because the services that we don't make. I mean, it's not because things can make money that we necessarily do them. It's because things are good, right? It also impacts the quality that you put into the, the, the product. I'm dealing with a lot of companies these days, for example, and you know, you talk to the business owners and they say they're having a really hard time because the younger, the youngest people coming into the workforce at current sometimes don't have the same work ethic 
as the generations before them. And so they're finding shoddy quality or they're finding people that don't want to learn and they're really struggling to say, how are we going to have, how are we going to maintain the same output as a company if our employee working ethic itself changes? But that was a great example. I mean, who's going to determine a work ethic, right? Who sets those standards? Is it just going to be the efficiency of the machine? We all know that that's not adequate. Work comes from the inside of a person. So we have to have a better way of guaranteeing a work ethic than saying it's going to be to operate at the speed of a machine. They're simply going to say they don't want the job at all. Our economy depends upon people being willing to work it. Okay. And that willingness, where does that come from? Well, it comes from a spot that's deeper than work itself. It comes from their family values, the way that they were raised. Uh, and where does that come from? Exactly. The deep philosophies that undermine everything. You take Christ away from the world, and I'm going to guarantee you it will be more difficult to maintain a high level of quality in the goods and services we produce. Second thing that we do that makes a difference is the way that we do it. It's not only the what we do, but how we work itself. And this is a little bit of history is always you know, very good to, to reflect on because you've got to remember that labor unions had their birth in a Christian world where the rights of the workers were asserted and then affirmed with, through, through the support of the church. Now, the church also supported the right for free enterprise. The, the church also supported the right of private property for the owners. But it also, she always insisted and she was amongst the first voices to insist that this fundamental law be remembered. Man does not live to work. Man works to live. Which means that the, the work that we do in the workplace needs to be ordered to our, our personal fulfillment, our personal development, that our life is more important than our work. All right, so what does that mean? That means that safety in the workplace becomes really important. But not only safety, but a safe environment where people are encouraged to grow, to be their best, where they're developed from one stage to the next, where you're given an opportunity to rise through the work in a way that's part and parcel of your genuine humanity. Well, again, like take, take, uh, take Christianity out of the workplace. What's going to guarantee that? I mean, there's other world philosophies out there, you guys, that don't hold that the worker should be developed. I know it might sound startling for you, but there's all kinds of people that impose work in slave-like conditions where the economy drives without, and they should be just grateful that they have a job at all. And, and, and yet this is not the way that, number one, it's not the best way for work itself or for the, the profit of the company to reach its maximum. But number two, it disrespects the people who are doing the job. And the Catholic Church steps in and say, where are our Christian leaders, our Catholic leaders in the workplace to insist that work be done in such a way that it's a practice for home? Meaning that the same people that are in your work spot workplace are people's brothers, fathers, mothers, sisters, aunts, grandmothers. And they ought to be spending their time in work at, in such a way that they grow and who they are to be even better when they go home. If you're breaking down your workers at work, you're breaking down the leaders of the families at home. And then finally, the third place where the church insists that Christian workers make a big difference is in the way that they treat wealth, right? The, the end goal of a business, of course, is profit. 
And the church says, hey, there's nothing wrong with profit. In fact, it's necessary and it's your right. It's just that your, your profit has to be seen at, for what it is, the possibility to grow things for the good. Both other charities, for example, and the poor who could use that profit to grow for the good and the business itself, which needs, of course, new infrastructure, new, new development tactics, new ways to, to invest in the experience of the employee. The problem is not whether or not you have money, in other words. The problem is whether or not the money has you. And if your business can generate that money, what a, what a great vision of wealth. I just think it's amazing because what if it wasn't that way? I mean, if it wasn't that way, we, we, we would be left in a world where wealth could be seen as something that divides instead of as a seed that could be planted to give new life. Wealth could be seen instead as something that crushes instead of something that brings people up. And so like, it's very important that you understand these three different ways that your faith impels you to take the role of leadership so that you produce good goods, you do it in a good way, and that you have good wealth. Those three guiding principles are the reason why we're fighting for you at the St. John Leadership Network. And it's the reason why we're gonna look at the life of St. Paul because he shows us that type of leadership. And it's so amazing to think of the grit of this man that God threw out there, so to speak, in the Mediterranean just to figure it out. And he had to go through the same dynamics as an entrepreneur has to go through anywhere. He has to figure out methods, products, audiences, methods of delivery, lifestyle. How, I mean, all of the rules that we now take for granted, he didn't have. And so St. Paul shows us in a real raw form the heart of a leader being forged in the act of leadership for the good of the church. And, and he gives us, of course, an authoritative lesson because as the written word of God, his letters and his life in the Acts of the Apostles become the norm of our Christian faith. So I want to look at him to inspire you as you go out and lead your businesses. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. A few years ago, Gallup did a poll on leadership and it asked you know, a, a huge amount of people what the four number one qualities of leadership are. And of course, the, the number one thing people came up with is vision, meaning if you don't know where you're going, there's no way you can lead anyone there. And the number four quality came in as passion, enthusiasm, right? We can all see that. It's the middle two that really surprised me. The number two quality that was listed is whether or not you can be trusted. And the number three quality is whether or not you trust your people. Now, the reason that really surprised me is because I can understand, you know, vision and passion as the leader drives forward. But it surprised me to think that in fact, half of leadership is not your ability to overcome obstacles, to vision, to see your way forward. It's your ability to connect with the people who follow. That means you could go to the greatest school, you could have the greatest degree, you could have the greatest ideas of anyone out there and still utterly fail as a leader. Because if you do not connect with your people, if they don't want to work for you, work with you, well, well then they're not going to. <laughs> Meaning that you can, you're not leading anybody 
You're just fighting a fight. See, leadership is, is not a quality that's simply all about the objective to it be attained. At least half of it is your ability to attain that objective together, to bring other people along with you as you look for what is genuinely good. They used to say of Napoleon, for example, and, and he was, of course, one of the winningest generals of all time. I think he only lost three battles uh, out of something like 60. Uh, but Napoleon, they said that when he would go to his, come out of his tent, his generals would line up in front of him and he wouldn't say a word to them. He would just look at them. And the way that he looked at each one and shook the hand of each one so motivated those men that they would go to their deaths fighting for him because they, they believed in him, right? How do you do that? How do you convey the, the fire that's inside of you towards the people that are underneath you? How do you build up the next generation of leaders? Or even, even if it's not the next generation, how do you share the vision that you have? I mean, at the, the center of this is the art of communication, of course. Your ability to, to take what's inside of you and to pass it on into what's inside of them. If you could bring your followers to believe in what you believe in uh, with the same intensity with which you believe it, well, well I mean, you've really inspired leadership. You, your, your leadership is now leaving a legacy. And for a lot of folks, this is really the challenge. You get towards the end of your career and you say to yourself, what was this all for? And, and how, can, how have I made anyone's life better by what I've done? Most people say they turn from successful careers into some form of mentorship to pass on the wisdom that they have. And that's where you find your satisfaction. Well, look, this is exactly what St. Paul was doing. In the life of St. Paul, he probably died sometime in his 60s, it appears late 50s into you know, mid-60s. Uh, and at the end of his life, who did he pour his heart into? Well, of course, you could say on the one hand, he poured it into the church which is true. I mean, if you look at his letter to the Galatians 4.19, he actually calls them his children. He says, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. I mean, literally calling them his children in the Lord, right? He does the same thing to, to St. Timothy. He says, my true son in the Lord. Same with St. Titus, he calls him a child in the common faith that they share. Or, or take a look at 1 Thessalonians 2.7.8. He says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. I mean, there, there, that says it all right there, right? Like to be a leader who pours out their life into the others that followed. Now, of course, St. Paul wasn't running a business, right? You don't exactly do that in the business world. Uh, there's a whole different set of parameters, but the principle remains the same. Paul's saying, I'm going to bring from what's inside of me, the fire that's burning inside of me, and I'm going to make it such that that fire burns in you. Now, of course, all of us, whether we run a business or not, if we're a parent at home, you're like, this is exactly what I want to do. A grandparent, this is the great desire of grandparents to invest in those grandkids, right? And to pass on the tradition, the knowledge, the character that you've spent a lifetime developing. I mean, do we, you know, none of us want to take that to the grave. It's the whole thing. When we come to the end of our lives, we look back and we say, how have I passed on my life? And of course, I do that by having children biologically, but
but I do it even more by parenting them and grandparenting them effectively. Okay, well, is there, is there an art to this? Is there a science? Is there somewhere I could go to develop this? Well, of course there is. And the Bible has the source for this knowledge. All wisdom is present in the Bible in one form or the other. And so what's the wisdom of grandparenting, the wisdom of parenting? Well, I find it right in St. Paul. I mean, I just gave you these examples where he's actually speaking, using the analogy of a parent and a child to speak of his relationship with his followers. Now, again, it's, it's a deep relationship. It's not the same as the workplace, but there's going to be an analogy. There's something we can take out of this and apply no matter where we are. And here, here are three things that I see right away that we can take from St. Paul's example. Number one is that he embodies the victory. He embodies the victory. Nobody wants to, to sail the ocean on a ship that's going to sink, right? If you're going to get people to follow you, you've got to be excited about where you're going and show them the pathway of how what you're doing is going to bring about their victory. And St. Paul did that really well, even though the context of his life was struggle, pain, sacrifice. I mean, like he's talking about going to heaven. And right, no one's ever been there. He hasn't been there. How is he going to get people to go to heaven when nobody's been there? And, and he's actually saying to folks, sell everything you've got on earth, so to speak, right? Like metaphorically, like give up your life of earthly pleasure, earthly renown, your earthly stuff, and live like a Christian bound for heaven. And he's, he, he hasn't even been there. People could say, where's your proof of concept on what you're selling? And he would just laugh. He'd say, Jesus... And then if you're in Jesus, then you get to go to heaven. Like, it's crazy. And yet everybody followed him. This is what's so wonderful about Christianity is that our proof of concept is in Christ. And the rest of us, even the ones who are leading other people to Christ and to heaven, well, we're doing it as we follow Christ. It's all about faith, everybody. And, and St. Paul managed to show enough soundness of character to get people to trust him enough. And, and also, he showed enough of an ability to trust them and delegate things properly and empower them that he created an entire community of people called the church who follow his teachings as he leads them in the footsteps of Christ to God in heaven. It's an extraordinary example of great communication. He's not, he's not bringing us someplace down. He's messaged to us that he's bringing us upwards to something even better. The second quick lesson that I think we can gain from him is that he communicates the message in a way that the people need to hear for their own benefit. In other words, instead of saying, I have a great idea, I want you to know it, he begins with the customer's need. He starts with where they're at and what they're looking for. Look at his speech at the Arepagus, for example, in Acts chapter 17. He starts out with their search for God, and then he proposes that Jesus is the answer for that search. And he does that way again and again and again. And the third lesson that we, that we see in St. Paul is that his nonverbal communication is more important than his verbal communication. In other words, it's because of who he is that he inspires people deep down to, to give a deeper part of themselves as they follow him. You, you can only say so much. In the end, it's what you don't say that speaks the loudest. And there, St. Paul's example, his courage, his constancy, 
all of that inspires something deeper in the people so that his, his method of connecting with his followers is one that, that strikes them in a holistic way. It's not just with their minds that they follow St. Paul. No, it's with their feet and their heart. And this is, can only be done by a leader who goes beyond the words and embodies who they are and what they do. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. You know, all of the life of St. Paul as a leader really comes to a head in the most beautiful passage, I think, in his writings. And of course, it's the last letter that he wrote and it's the end of the last letter that he wrote. So it's really a very touching farewell. And if you notice how St. Paul says farewell, he doesn't write to the whole world and says, say to the whole world, this is what, you know, thank you for everything. I'm bowing out now. You know, when St. Paul says farewell is to one person, it's to Timothy. And he writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He really kind of gives his spiritual legacy. He, he, he gives his heart to Timothy. And you could write, read a whole bunch of the different passages where he does this. He does the same thing with Titus, you know, kind of, you know, issues them a final charge and he encourages them and says what they need to do, you know, as, as ministers of Christ. But then he comes to, to, to 2 Timothy 4, 6, and he writes this. For I am being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I want, to, I want to break this down for you because in my mind, this little passage is just a, a pristine example of how a leader speaks from their heart to the heart of their followers. And again, you got to apply this differently in the workplace, in the public sphere, but you're intelligent enough to apply this differently. My point is not, is not so much, you know, the words that he uses, it's how he goes about it. I mean, look, look at how he begins this. I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Okay, so what is he saying? Well, first of all, it's amazing. He's actually bearing witness that there's someone in his life greater than him. I'm being poured out like a drink offering? What is the drink offering to whom? I mean, drink offering is a libation, right? It's, a, it's, it's where you take the liquid and then you literally pour it on the ground. And be that in the temple of Jerusalem where you pour the blood on the ground or be that, you know, in front of a God or something. St. Paul uses that analogy to speak about what he's living. Now, what has he just told his followers? He's just told his followers that life is an amazing adventure and that what he's living, he gave to the very last drop. What in your world could be bigger than you? Anyone who's find some, found someone bigger than them is, has found the goal towards which they will lead everyone else. Like it's really important sometimes in families, the kids get bored in the families and the kids are bored in the families because, well, mom and dad aren't living for anything else than the family. Well, family isn't meant to be just for itself. It's meant to embody and reflect the love of God. 
which is infinite, which is majestic. And here's St. Paul, it, you know, it, it encouraging a thirst in the, the soul of St. Timothy, a thirst to follow him. Because St. Paul's saying he's going somewhere. I'm being poured out like a drink offering, right? And the time of my departure has come. Second little lesson there. St. Paul puts a barrier. He actually says, I am not everything. And, and you have to figure yourself out. So isn't that amazing? The time of my departure has come. I'm actually going to separate myself from you. It's a really dramatic moment. I mean, it's Paul announcing his death to the person who loves him and doesn't want him to die. Right? And yet death will come to us all. An end will come to us all. There's going to be a moment where you're going to have to take over the reins, Timothy. And that moment is now. This is such an important statement because by it, St. Paul shows us the way that we empower those who come behind us. We're not the message, in other words. The message is that we're serving in the service of something much greater and more important than us. And that that next person has to step into their role. He then goes on. He says, I have fought the good fight, right? What a, what a great way to look at what you do, right? <laughs> I'm fighting the good fight. When you say you're fighting, you know, you're struggling, you're, you're fighting your way through, right? Don't just say you're doing that. Remember, you're fighting the good fight, right? I have finished the race, this long course of his life, right? He sees it as a race that he's running. I finished it. I have kept the faith. That's amazing because there is the number one thing he's most proud of that he finishes that sentences, sentence with is the inner truth of his character. I have kept the faith, right? He doesn't say just I've accomplished all these things. It's that as I accomplished those things, there was a deeper truth that was holding me and I never let go of that deeper truth. The thing I'm, he's most proud of is who he is at the end. Well, what a message to give to your followers, right? What a message to encourage Timothy with. doesn't matter if you go up or it doesn't matter if you go down. All that's on the outside, all that's in the eyes of the world. You know what matters? It matters who you are in the eyes of God. And then he turns St. Timothy towards the, the deepest and most ultimate, of course, of prizes. What is laid up for me is the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to me on that day. What a beautiful vision to have as I communicate my spirit to my followers of the real reason that motivates me. I mean, it may not be in words of faith, but it could be of words that are still deep. Folks, we're not in this just to make money. We're not in this. We're in this for a deeper cause and to have the courage to pass on that deeper cause. That's what makes St. Paul inspiring. That's what makes him someone people will follow in their life all the way to heaven. That's what makes Paul an effective leader. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.